Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Ami Devereaux about the challenge of planning in extreme uncertainty, scenario planning, and creating a remote culture that doesn't leave behind more junior employees. Ami Devereaux, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here, John. Yeah, I'm really excited to chat. And uh, you, you have a really interesting experience in strategy consulting and coaching. Uh, and, and just in our, our pre-show um, discussion and really exploring, you know, what, what we want to talk about, uh, you had some really interesting ideas about how COVID is going to be impacting more junior employees and the long-term effects on business. And so these are the types of things I want to explore with you today. I think it'll be a really enlightening discussion uh, for, for all of my listeners. So thank you for joining me. As we get started, I just want to quickly provide the listeners with an overview to Ami's uh, background. Uh, Ami Devereaux provides a strategy. She provides strategy consulting and executive coaching to the leaders of high growth tech startups. Uh, and their organizations. She writes about the challenge of planning in extreme uncertainty, which seems particularly apt given the situation we're in right now. Uh, scenario planning, creating a remote culture um, that doesn't leave behind more junior employees and developing organizations that embrace integrity. And I really love each of those areas <laughs> that, uh, that you outlined. I think we could really have a really great in-depth discussion about any of them, uh, but uh, what an interesting background. Anything that you would like to share about yourself um, before we really just dive on in? Um, no, I have one of those kind of typical Gen X meandering career paths that's taken me everywhere from professional dancing through on-air talent and then into um, into management and management consulting. And, and then I ran a couple of technology startups, which is how I ended up with this very niche kind of position in the world of consulting and executive coaching. And uh, I never intended to be quite so niche, but it turns out it's kind of a good thing because when people ask me what I do, I don't tell them I do everything. So that's kind of cool. And then um, one thing that might be of interest to listeners or viewers is that I host a free community that is about leadership and strategy and critical thinking. And anybody who writes to me and can answer a couple questions about themselves, it will, is welcome to an invite to join. There's no selling on it. There's no pitching. I don't have products on it. It is just a community just without, uh, you know, without ads or algorithms or trolls or any of that. And we, we talk about issues that probably interest many of your listeners. And that's at beyondbetter.online. 
So anybody who's interested, I would love to see you there and hear what you have to share. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you for that. Uh, I, and I, I agree. I think we, so many of us have very meandering types of backgrounds, right? Uh, and in fact, I just think that's more, that's more the norm um, than it's not. Uh, we, we, we tend to like to think about life as being this linear process. And we, we, you know, if we do everything right, you know, in our youth and we go to the right school and we get, you know, then we move on, we get into our career and then we just have this smooth trajectory. That, that does happen for some people, but I, I don't think it happens for most people. It certainly didn't happen for me. It sounds like it didn't happen for you. Um, I'm not sure. I, it was super interesting. I'm not sure how many um, tech consultants can say they had a previous career in dance. Um, so that, that's, that's awesome. Yeah, that's uh, that's probably makes me a bit of an outlier. It's true, and in, and in radio and television. So, you know, I was a political talk host before I was a management consultant, and uh, quite a big difference in how you engage with the subject matter. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, but but I mean, that's an important lesson right there. That I, I think, particularly for any younger listeners uh, that might be listening to this episode. Um, it's okay, like to to fumble around to try to figure things out, to shift trajectory, you know, to to have a, a pivot and move in different er, uh, different ways. You know, that's that's normal. That's life. Um, and I think it's all about how we embrace the uncertainty and how we, we how adaptive we can be, um, and developing like core competencies and capabilities that are transferable across different mm -hmm. areas, like you've been able to do. I imagine, you know, your performance um, background really served you well once you went into radio and TV, and uh, which has also served you well as you've gone uh, into your more niche consulting uh, career. And, you know, we, we learn from our past. We help have that help build us into our future. So I think that's all really great. I think, I think that's true. And, I, and but I would say that like most things, there are costs and benefits to having the kind of path I've had. You know, I have a younger sister who did the exact opposite. She knew from a very young age what she wanted to do and be. And so she was laser focused on that exact direction. I, of course, was driven completely by whatever particular passion I had at any given moment, which took me on this very curvy path. And she has a she has a really deep kind of expertise. She's a veterinarian, and she's superb at what she does, and still equally as passionate about it now as she was at eight. And uh, my passions have always been more inside of the kind of activities rather than the particular subject matter to which I, I apply it. So I've been very driven by critical thinking and argumentation and um, analysis, which has been a, it's been a consistent theme, but applied to all different kinds of things. So it's useful to know the costs and benefits of both paths because, you know, she probably has a way better pension plan than I have. <laughs> I mean, there are definitely yeah. costs to switching directions every five years or so. So sure. I don't recommend it. I just think, though, it is a valid path. Yeah, and it's it's a path that a lot of people end up taking. Yeah, uh, my my wife's the same as your sister. My wife knew uh, in high school that she wanted to be a math teacher, and that's what she. I mean, she she was laser focused. That's what she's always done. She's an awesome math teacher. Uh, that's right. wonderful. 
on the other hand, I switched majors five times in college, you know, <laughs> so whatever. Exactly, exactly. Well, perfect. So we ended up with this very, very nice intersection of our two meandering paths. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> but actually, it, it fits really well with, with uh, what we wanted to discuss today, because we're talking about um, uncertainty. <laughs> mm -hmm. And how, how do you address uncertainty when you're in a leadership role? Uh, you do a lot of strategy consulting, um, scenario planning, uh, those sorts of things. And, and it just so happens that we are in the middle of an incredibly tumultuous, uncertain time uh, where really nobody knows exactly what how things are going to play out over the course of the next year during this pandemic. And we have political and so, social and economic unrest in the country and, and organizations are struggling to stay afloat while having remote workers. And I mean, we just, it's the intersection of all these different things. You know, people joke about you know, 2020 just being this, this uh, year from hell, uh, with murder hornets and everything, you know, but, um, but, but the reality is it's, it's both a, an incredible challenge for organizational leaders, but there's tremendous opportunities right. uh, in this space as well. So, um, let's start there. Like what, what do you, what do you do when talking with leaders about how they can respond to the uncertainty and leverage the unique opportunities that may arise when we're in the middle of this kind of a, a situation. So in some ways, this year is providing a kind of laboratory and it's a laboratory for exploring the sort of counterfactual of what your original plan was, right? So if you originally plan, like, I'll give you an example. One of my clients is a company that is a, it's a, a fairly, actually it's a very high growth startup they're past Series A funding, they're probably gonna race into Series B, they're just growing really, really fast. But their primary business model was an enterprise model, so they were you know, selling to large organizations, large media companies, because they're in the, the data exchange space. So they, they have a, a platform that's sort of like, if you can imagine, um, Amazon, but for data, right? And their model was very focused on enterprise. But as you can imagine, with the pandemic and all of the uncertainty, their prospects are tightening up their budgets, not spending anything, and not making consequential decisions. And undertaking a new enterprise software is by every stretch, you know, by every description, a, a consequential decision that takes time to implement, it costs a lot of money, and et cetera, et cetera. So they were faced with this kind of potential almost forced stoppage of their sales um, process. And it wasn't like they were gonna go broke. They could, they could weather the storm, but they started exploring what are some of the ways that we can seize upon this moment, maybe to accelerate our roadmap or to take a left turn that wouldn't diverge completely from our basic business model because obviously their funders, their investors are counting on them to be what they said they would be, but that would make it more accessible at a lower budget point, lower price point, with more of a, a high transaction basis. So if you imagine, you know, if you're selling an enterprise model, you're making a whole bunch of money on subscription. If you're selling a consumer or small business model, you're making money on volume. So it's very different kinds of economic uh, structures. And what they did is they sort of jumped to, you know, the part of their roadmap that wouldn't have emerged until about 2022 and 
became a public facing data exchange platform where it really is like Amazon, like you or I could go on there, create a profile, look up, we want you know this much of this kind of data at this budget, place an order and do it all on that kind of a transactional basis without the whole enterprise software process, which takes a very, very long time to go through being um, at play. So that's one way that a company has seized upon this as an opportunity in the middle of change. But there's another side to the, not to that exact same company, although it applies to them, which is that there are also maybe foreseeable problems coming down the pike that if you're, if you're really thinking about it, you have to investigate. And I think there's been a lot, I'll give you an example, like with remote work. I think for a lot of companies that have been reluctant about remote work in the past, and we certainly see this with the big companies like Twitter, um, they've said, wow, what a shock. Our employees don't just goof off and watch soap operas. They actually work. In fact, they work even harder when they're at home. How, what a shock. Shock to absolutely nobody who's ever worked from home, but a shock to corporate bosses who are pretty sure that you know nobody will work if they are given the freedom to make their own schedule. And so what they have taken away from that is that, well, this is actually the answer. This is the answer, and if we can reduce real estate costs, we can have little, less square footage, we can, there's all these positives, right? We can recruit from further afield, we don't have to pay San Francisco prices, all that's great. Nobody is thinking about what does this mean two years from now? What does this mean for our company's bench? What does this mean for our succession planning? What are we losing? We gain productivity, but what are we losing when we go to completely remote work? And I think a lot of what we're losing are things that are not typically measured. For example, I don't know how old you are, but almost every consequential romantic relationship I ever had in my life came about because of some kind of work interaction, right? And I learned how to speak professionally by being in meetings where I was not supposed to speak at all. I learned how to collaborate by listening in on my colleagues. I met people who ultimately became really pivotal in my life by being in an elevator with them. There's all these sort of I don't even want to say soft, but invisible, un unobserved things that happen in a shared office that are gone now. So you have 25-year-olds at home with a flatmate or a parent having no interaction with anybody outside of their own immediate team. And then those interactions are entirely about a project they're working on. So gone are social collisions. Gone are happenstance conversations. Gone is eavesdropping on things that are not your direct purview. Something's getting lost in that, and nobody's thinking about how to replace that. That's a, a, an excellent, excellent point. Um, and I have to admit, I hadn't really thought a whole lot about that myself. Um, and, and in part, as, as you were saying that, you know, I was thinking about why. Why, why hadn't I really um, 
consider that too much. And I think my bias has been, I, I have just seen the shift, the steady shift towards a more, um, you know, towards a gig economy, towards more project-based economy, uh, more and more employers, uh, you know, really the whole shift in the psychological contract between employer and employee and more and more um, younger workers wanting to have more flexibility and move around and do different things, more employers wanting to be rid of the, the you know, the, the, the ties to people more long-term. Just seems like there's been this steady move towards contingent work, project-based work, um, and that was kind of my frame of thinking. Um, and I still think that's going to happen. And I think COVID uh, is in some ways perhaps accelerating us towards that. Um, I actually but, differ from you on that. Yeah, I, well, I, well, hold on just a second. And, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, no. I And I think, well, it's certainly complex. And so I think in some ways COVID might move us more towards uh, contingent project-based work. It certainly has the potential of moving us more towards remote work, um, more long-term as people get more comfortable with it, both leaders and individuals. But there's no question in my mind um, that there's still going to be the traditional workplace. There has to be. Um, and, and, and so it's not, I guess for me, nothing's ever, you know, eat, it, it's never dichotomous. And so, so I don't see it being one way or the other. Um, but I was just sharing that in terms of like why I hadn't really considered, um, the, the importance of those who will continue to be in the traditional kind of workplace, um, with the traditional types of work roles. And even if we do see a shift, continued shift towards more project-based work, we can't ignore the need for succession planning. We can't ignore the need uh, for mentoring and coaching and helping the younger um, generation of millennial and Gen Z workers know how to effectively navigate organizational systems and structures and politics and all that kind of stuff. Otherwise, we're going to be shooting ourselves in the foot. We might be able to get by it, you know, in the next couple of years, but five, you know, two, three, five years down the road, 10 years down the road, we could see all sorts of unintended consequences. Um, so anyways, I, that, that was kind of my thought process as you were describing that. And, and go, go ahead, push back. No, I, I think you, you've identified it exactly. I mean, it, it is what economists call a fat tail effect. It is something that is gonna come back and hurt us and, and that's avoidable. Now, I don't have a kind of firm answer on how to avoid it, but you certainly can't solve a problem until you identify it. And certainly in these, in these startups, I mean, if we look at the technology industry and startups in particular, they are not leaning into, you know, independent contractor relationships. They are leaning into building large enterprises with, co with arguably cohesive teams. Now their technology teams are typically distributed. That's not unusual. And, the, and so there's a certain kind of um, acculturation that's already happened for technology companies in working in a distributed team. And they have, you know, they have regular meetups and they have regular, that kind of stuff. But for the rest of the team, if you look at the folks in the marketing and business and PR and SEO and analysis and machine, I mean, there's all these different aspects to running an organization. They have typically worked in an office with colleagues, with leadership, even if there were 20 of those offices. 
And so they have become ameliorated to the workplace, to what it is to be part of a team, to internalizing the strategy and the culture and all of that more as a kind of osmotic function. Like it just sort of happens, right? Nobody knows how it happens, but it just happens. And somebody who came in as an intern then becomes the person in charge of marketing or in charge of marketing while we're little. And then as we grow, they have employees. And before you know it, they're a director and a VP and, and maybe someday they're Sheryl Sandberg, you know, and that's how that happens. And if they start out remote in mom's house and then they move out of mom's house into an apartment with, you know, roommates, when does all that happen? And it's, it's not as simple as coaching and, and training. I like, that stuff is all very kind of like you can't coach somebody on how to be in experiences they have never had. Coaching needs a substrate, substrate. You know, you need like my coaching clients come to me with what they want to work on. I don't tell them what to work on. Right. And if I'm trying to coach a young employee on how to act at a board meeting in the room, how to read body language, how to decide when it's appropriate to speak or not and to gauge the um, who influences whom within the room. I'm telling you, you cannot see any of that on Zoom. That is all happening, you know, like it would at a poker table, right? And um, so there's gotta be a method for replacing some of this. And it's, I think it's gonna have to happen, you know, IRL, as we say, I don't think there's a way to do it with pixels. Yeah. Wow. That's, it's, it's, that's a really fascinating, um, uh, set of issues that I'm going to, I'm really going to have to grapple with and, and spend some more time thinking about. So in our last few minutes, perhaps we can focus on what your thoughts and ideas are for how we, you know, in this kind of a situation, I mean, you already said you don't have the answer. No, you know, we don't have a crystal ball. We don't really have the answer, but like, what, what's your, what do you think is the best step forward um, for leaders as they're trying to figure out um, how to work with um, kind of early career uh, uh, workers in their organizations? Well, I think you can chip away at some of the, the artifices of remote work. So let's just take the most one, an obvious one. If you're working remotely, then the only occasions on which you speak to your colleagues are occasions when you have planned meetings that have a predetermined output, right? Like you want to make this decision or you want to come up with the next step in this innovation or whatever it is. As a result, you don't talk to anybody further afield in the organization. You never talk to anybody who's on an adjacent team or anybody who's on a far-flung team. If you're, in, if you're in sales, you don't necessarily ever meet an engineer, right? So the first thing you can do is start manufacturing artificial social collisions. And it's, it feels, it's super awkward. There is nothing natural about any of this, but what you essentially do is you create random first dates for your employees with each other. You do it completely randomly, create a spreadsheet and just have columns that rotate or something and assign every single person in the company a randomized phone conversation. And I do mean phone, not Zoom, once a week. And the conversation, let's say, is 30 minutes long and it has no agenda. The only rule is they don't talk about work. 
know, it's, it's incredibly awkward, right? It's exactly like going to Starbucks with somebody you met on Tinder. But the goal is to create relationships, to create affinity, to find crossovers and in interests or backgrounds or geography or literature, music or film or anime or whatever it is. It doesn't matter, right? So, you know, you and I get matched up. I talk to you. I'm an engineer. I don't know anything about, you know, human capital. And you tell me about some of the stuff that's really fascinating you right now or some show you watched on Netflix. And I tell you about my garden and what I've discovered about, you know, about that. And somewhere in there, we now know each other a little bit. And then the next time we talk, because there's a company happy hour, we have a basis to actually talk to each other and not just to talk to our direct teammates. So it's very artificial, it's very weird, but it's one tactic that a leader can take that they can control to provide a space for something to flourish besides just work. I love that idea. And you know, the, the greatest ideas, the, the, the best creativity and the innovation that happens in those um, the, the, those moments that bubble up just through these, right. these social collisions, you know, um, that's when I, I'm big, I'm a big believer in interdisciplinary, um, research, interdisciplinary work. And when people are stuck in their silos, kind of with their own little group of people, <laughs> their insular way of thinking, um, they, and they we've just, institutionalized that now. Abs I mean, absolutely. it's actually built in now. Yeah, exactly. And so that, that, just inherently inhibits us. And so finding ways to have more of those touch points, um, those organic opportunities, even if it has to be artificially created, <laughs> um, you know, can be really powerful. So, and I, and I love your um, Tinder at Starbucks analogy. Um, you know, perhaps it is awkward, but it's, it's more awkward when you have people that are kind of floating out on their own without any, um, any, connection uh to the workplace right. well wonderful um you know it has been a real uh pleasure talking with you and i really appreciate you pushing me on on my how i i, I was viewing this um i have a lot to think about uh before we close today um anything that you would like to share with uh, the listeners in terms of how they can get in contact with you learn more about you um and reach out to you um sure uh i have a website and a community the website, which is my professional website about the executive coaching and consulting is beyondbetter.io. And its sister is the community, which is beyondbetter.online. And the community really is open to anybody interested in these kinds of subjects. Um, you know, I periodically will stick an article up there and ask, you know, so what do you think? How does it work for you? Do you have something to share about it? The, the members are free to share their own material, videos, articles, books they read, whatever they want. Um, not whatever they want. It's not meant to be promotional of me or them. But it is a place where if you are looking for a community and you want to inquire into conversations like this and share what you think about it, not just about our conversation, but about May, you know, maybe there's somebody listening right now who has found 
a better way of innovating and creating an opportunity for you know newer team members to develop themselves from home. I would love to know about that. So if they would join my community at beyondbetter.online, maybe they'll share that with me. Wonderful. Well, thank you, Ami. Uh, I, I encourage my listeners to reach out to look you up. I'll include um, you know some links in the show notes. And uh, it, is, it has been a fascinating discussion. Uh, I hope perhaps we can continue this at a future date. That would be um, great. And, and have further exploration. And I hope everyone stays healthy and safe. Have a wonderful rest of your week. Thank you so much for inviting me, John. I appreciate it. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week.